Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live from Multispeed Technologies, the show that puts you, the listener, in the driver's seat because you are the content. The phone lines are open to be a part of the program. It's free call, 1-855-450-NOAA. It's 1-855-450-6624. Give me a call. We'll have a conversation about your tech questions or business and tech questions. Linux advocate, above all else, small business owner, now host of the only radio show centered around you, the listener. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. My name is Noah July. All right, let's get right into this. Hopefully nobody is listening to us over Wi-Fi today. If you don't know what I'm talking about, if... That sounds strange to you. I would strongly advise you, uh, if you are streaming us over Wi-Fi, to go find a Cat5 cable, disable your wireless card, plug in, listen to the rest of the show, and uh, hopefully by the end you'll understand why. Come back to us. Um, Belgian researchers have confirmed today that every modern Wi-Fi network is vulnerable to attackers. The original vulnerability was detailed last May, But since that time, the attack has been refined, and today we now know that attackers can, in fact, clone uh, your network traffic. Again, all modern Wi-Fi networks are affected. Uh, We're going to walk through this at a very high level, a very practical level, and then we'll go back and we'll delve a little deeper. Um, But basically, imagine this. Imagine that you have a Python script that you can download. It's pretty readily available online. And uh, you run this Python script, and basically what this Python script does is it clones the network on a different wireless channel. So let's say you have your original network, um, your original access point name, and it was called My Home Wi-Fi Network, and that exists on channel one. This rogue channel will be on channel six in our example, and uh, we create a rogue network access point with the same network channel on channel six. We then use uh, special Wi-Fi frames, uh, and we send those to the victim's machine, to force their client to connect to our rogue access point on channel 6 instead of its originally intended access point that it wants to connect to on channel 1. We can use a tool called SSL Strip, SSL Strip tool, and this will remove the SSL protection if the server is improperly configured. And at this point, if all of that is successful, we can actually capture all of the data leaving the user's machine because we've essentially performed, essentially, we have performed a man-in-the-middle attack. Uh, HTTPS is, uh, when we think of HTTPS, a lot of times we think of it in the browser. So it's a little green padlock in uh, Google Chrome or Firefox that lets you know that you have an encrypted tunnel directly from your machine to the server. And so any information that is sent down that tunnel is protected by the encryption on the outside of the tunnel. But HTTPS is actually used in a lot of things, a lot of things that aren't even in the browser. Software uses HTTPS. We've seen it in iOS, OSX apps, Android apps, banking apps, even VPS, uh, VPN, excuse me, virtual private network apps. And these are all compromised if they're connecting over Wi-Fi. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into this, but for those of you who are just tuning in to get the two-minute breakdown on what this is and what you can do about it, unfortunately, I don't have great news for you. Uh, It's not a bright future. It's not as bad as Heartbleed in that all 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 you really need to do is patch and then you're fine. Um, Concentration is going to be at the client end, so you're not as... I mean, you want to update your routers and stuff like that, but the real uh, update happens on your computer, on your smartphone. But you're essentially, you are at the mercy of the router and wireless manufacturer. And of course, if you have a contract with Speed Technologies, then the, our technicians have been on, on top of this since three in the morning when the news broke. And um, if your access point and network has not been upgraded already, it will be upgraded within the next couple of hours. So you have nothing to worry about. There's nothing further for you to do. But the emphasis is on the attack emphasis is on the client itself. So you need to go back and update now. For those of you who are interested in exactly what's going on here, uh, the Ask Noah show has done hours of meticulous research and is bringing it to you live on the air. The attack targets what we call the four-way encryption handshake that occurs every time that you try to connect to a Wi-Fi network. So essentially, what happens every time you click on the little Wi-Fi icon, you enter in your pre-shared key or what commonly referred to as a Wi-Fi password. Essentially, what's happening is both the access point and your device confirm that you both possess that pre-shared key or that that correct password, the same password. At the same time, the four-way handshake negotiates and generates a fresh pair of encryption keys. 
and then those encryption keys are used to encrypt all subsequent traffic. However, due to um, the fact that we lose, you know, if you're right on the edge of a Wi-Fi network or there's packet loss or something like that, um, message three, uh, message three is the is, is the message that finally installs that second set of keys. And the access point will continue to retransmit access point three if it does not receive an acknowledgement from the client. And as a result, um, the client may receive message three a number of times. And every time it receives a new message three, it installs that encryption key back into the system and thereby resets the transmit packet. Uh, and you can you can an attacker can force this reset by replaying some of uh, the, the the transmissions of message three of the four-way handshake. What's important to note here is that all modern protected Wi-Fi networks use this four-way handshake. Um, the attack is called the crack attack, C-R-A-K attack, because what this attack is doing is tricking your machine into reinstalling an already in-use encryption key by replaying those cryptographic handshake messages. So the key reinstallation attack, crack attack. When your machine reinstalls the key, other things such as the incre I, I said that uh, incremental tra uh, packet uh, number and receive packet number are reset to their initial value. So, property sec proper security practices would dictate that a key is only ever installed and used once. But the standard, the WPA2 standard, that is the standard protocol being targeted here, it does not enforce you to only use this key once. So, by manipulating uh, that handshake, you can actually take advantage of this weakness. Now, some news agencies are reporting that Linux and Android are particularly affected. And um, the reason for that is because Linux and Android both use something called WPA Supplicant. Now, I use WPA Supplicant uh, a lot back when I was using Xmonad. And I know it's still pretty popular with a lot of the tiling window desktop people. So it's 2.6, I believe, is the version and above that is affected. The reason that it's slightly worse is because the client will install an all-zero encryption key instead of installing the real key. And basically, this is because there is a note in the Wi-Fi standard that suggests that you clear the encryption key from memory once it's been installed for the first time. Uh, and, of course, Android, being based on Linux, uses the same WPA supplicant. Android 6 and above also contain this particular vulnerability. But, and I say this again, because this seems to be getting lost in a lot of, uh, a lot of reports that I'm seeing, all computers and all smartphones, every device can be compromised with the crack attack. So you need to update all of your devices right now. If you use WPA, TKIP, or GCMP, commonly known as a wireless gigabit, instead of the AES CCMP, the impacts are even worse. Because not only can you decrypt the information that's coming across the wire, you can actually inject packets. Uh, again, CGMP is being branded as wireless gigabit. And uh, we have seen huge adoption in the past. We are going to continue to see huge adoption over the next couple of years. So it's, it's a big deal. My understanding is that the method of authentication does not matter. So we have had clients that are calling in that have, you know, corporate certificates and stuff like that. None of that matters. Uh, you're still hosed. You need to update. A couple of other follow-up points. I, I, uh, I did some digging. Uh, the next version of Ubuntu will not ship, will not ship with this vulnerability patched. It will be a zero-day up update. Um, as confirmed in the public IRC log from Adam Conrad, the Ubuntu release team member who is doing this release. And I quote from Adam, no security updates are not a valid reason to trigger a respin, even when they have a scary media friendly name. People should expect that if they are up to date, we've done our best. And that's why there are security updates in general. All that to say, if you upgrade, uh, well, it, it doesn't matter it, whatever you're using. Mac OS, Windows, Ubuntu, Android, iOS, Ubuntu phone, doesn't matter. Whatever it is you're using, update your system. Um, so, yeah, I, and, you know, this is a huge news. Obviously, uh, I have spent my day running around like a chicken with his head cut off um, trying to tackle a lot of these issues, um, dealing with our clients and stuff like that. Um, of course, we have industry experts. You know, AltaSpeed Technologies is dealing with this on the front lines. We manage Wi-Fi's. That's what we do. We manage Wi-Fi networks, and so obviously, we're going to those clients 
and dealing with that. So, so I have some, I have some very real firsthand experience with this today, but another one of my friends and uh, fellow podcasters is Michael Tunnell. Michael owns Visuex. Uh, they do web design and graphic design. And uh, Michael has been following this probably closer than I have, because if I've been doing the practical stuff all day, Michael has been researching this all day and we're bringing Michael onto the program to talk about it. So welcome to the program, Michael. How are you? Fine, how are you? Excellent. So I don't know if you heard my uh, my initial little rant there about uh, the crack attack, but uh, what, what what have you found? What, what what do you have to add to that? What have you found? Well, it, you, you were you're accurate in pretty much everything. The only thing I would what I'd say is uh, the only thing you you made a slight mistake was just, it's spelled with a K. So if someone was searching, it's crack with a K. Ah, so K R A C C K. Gotcha. So it's if they're searching for it, that that's what it's going to be found is. Um, as far as the the way you explain it is is very accurate. The 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 biggest issue is not that it's necessarily the WPA limitations. It's that it's the standard the WPA standard protocol itself. So like that's why it's so drastically across the board an issue. Gotcha. So the 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 ironic thing is that the things that correctly implemented it, the standard properly, like Linux, is one of the most vulnerable things because the right. standard itself is what's vulnerable. Right. Uh, so that's kind of that's a little disheartening. A little, <laughs> you, you know, it's, <laughs> you what, do it right. What's What's interesting here is that this is like you know, there's a lot. Of, there, it, it's everything from on the internet. You can find everything from the sky is falling, like the world is coming to a catastrophic end, mm-hmm. all the way down to well, this isn't really that big of a deal. Who really cares? Uh, and I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. I don't think it's as serious as Heartbleed yeah, was, um, but basically we all just kind of have to hunker down and just say, please give me an update. And of course, like I said, if you're on you know AltaSpeed Managed Network, Ubiquity was right on the money. Microtag right on the money had updates available to us right away. We were able to get all that patched. Yeah. Have you have you patched this? Yeah, Microtech actually had the Microtech had the pro, had the problem fixed a week ago. Oh really? Yeah, they released the patch a week ago silently, uh, but they didn't like explain what the patch was. They just patched it and then waited for the release to come out. Excellent. Okay, well, yeah. If people want to find out more, are, are you doing coverage on on this week in, in Linux? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna make some videos about it. But I, one, one quick thing: mm-hmm. uh, Android is probably the the like the Linux side of it. You're pretty much good to go because most distros have already have already patched it or are working on a patch. Uh, uh, Debian, Ubuntu, Arch, uh, Arch Linux are all patched and deployed. The the only thing that is like so far, OpenSUSE and Fedora are currently working on a patch, but they haven't released it yet. But I expect it to be pretty soon. And uh, the the biggest issue is pro- is definitely Android because of the whole the fifty percent of the people who use Android are affected because the previous versions are not affected. They're not affected by this. They're affected by a lot of other things. So those are different issues that we need to fix. But the problem with Android is that there's a very likelihood that a lot of these devices will never get an update because the mm-hmm. manufacturers won't push anything. So I just wanted to point out that if you've never thought about using lineage os but now's a good time because it was also <laughs> patched today yeah no kidding right what do you think about uh, canonical not shipping the uh, 1710 the first distro that they've released in years with going back to the gnome desktop huge change for ubuntu users probably going to bring a lot of people back over to the ubuntu desktop that's not shipping already patched what do you think about that well i i think it's a it goes back to your previous episode where you talked about that Ubuntu 17.10 is for the devoted users and that the releasing, rebuilding all the ISOs in order to include this patch is not that big of an issue because the typically the people who are going to install this, this, this version of the distro will also install the updates that come with it. So just by installing updates, you're, you're good to go. Yeah, and that was kind of so, their justification was that, you know, everyone, we got people running Ubuntu all over the place uh, just saying that it's not included in the, there's going to be tons of security things just because this one has a little extra media attention doesn't mean we're going to, you know, un- undo weeks worth yeah. of work and delay and all that. Yeah, I don't think it's that big of a deal. It's it's definitely an issue that people need to pay attention to, but it's not that big of a problem to be, like, it's not catastrophic. It's, cool. If you run a business and you and you don't have someone managing your, your routers and your setup that is aware of it or doing it well, you, you might have a bigger problem, though. Cool. People want to find out more. Where can they go? Uh, for this, this topic, uh, I think crackattack.com is a, is a thing. Yeah, well, I meant your coverage of it specifically. Oh, okay. So uh, my coverage would be at tuxdigital.com. 
Cool. Thanks for coming by the program. We appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, update your device. That's that's really what this amounts to. And, um, you know, we'll continue if you keep an eye on AskNoahShow.com. Follow us on Twitter at AskNoahShow. There's anything that's uh, hugely important. We'll, uh, we'll continue to keep you guys in the loop. Jim is calling from Florida. Hey, Jim, what's up? Hey, Noah. It's a pleasure to talk to you. I have a question. I used Red Hat Linux before there was even a Fedora, and that's what I used at home. And then at work, we used FreeBSD. And because of some life changes and stuff, I was required to go back to other worlds, mainly Mac and Windows. So I'm trying to get back into Linux now, and I, I just want to better understand about the versions. Like with Ubuntu, there's 1704 and the 1604 LTS. What's the whole deal with the LTS versions, and how's that work out? Yeah, sure. So um, basically... Ubuntu version numbers are actually really easy to understand, and once you once you understand the 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 naming scheme, then all of a sudden those those numbers start to make a lot of sense. Essentially, the first number in the version number is the year of the of the release. So, for example, seventeen oh four and was released in the year twenty seventeen. The version sixteen oh four was released in the year twenty sixteen. Following the period, the second number is representative of the month in which the distro was released. So 1704 was released in April of 2017. 1604 was released in April of 2016. Now, what's the difference between the LTS and the non-LTS? There is a version of Ubuntu that comes out every six months. So April uh, uh, April of 2017, we have 1704. In October, in just uh, three days, uh, uh, Thursday of this week, we are going to get 1710. That will be the version that was released in October of 2017. So we had okay. 1604, we had 1610, then we had 1704, now we'll have 1710. Every two years, so the even number releases, every two years in April, that particular version, we append the letters LTS, and the LTS stands for long-term support. And what that means is that the versions that are released with the letters LTS will continue to receive updates for five years after their release. Um, so 1604 will continue to receive updates through uh, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, and 2021. So April of 2021 will be the last time that you'll get updates for 1604 if you installed it today. Whereas 1704, okay. end of life, I believe is every six months. In fact, I'm almost sure of that because we had a call last week that came in that was talking about 1610. We said 1610 is end of life. Um, so when the next okay. when the next non LTS comes out, that is when th- that is when the next non LTS comes out. That's when the previous non LTS stops receiving updates and and so on and so forth. So why is that important? Or why, wh- how do you how do you choose between those two? Well, seventeen ten for example is a non LTS, so it will only receive updates through April of twenty eighteen. However, seventeen ten is the first. Uh, Linux distrib- your first Ubuntu distribution in the, in, the, in the last five, six years, whatever, that is going back to the GNOME desktop. And mm-hmm. Unity is no longer actively being, you know, um, developed. They're, they're maintaining it, obviously, and they'll continue to maintain it because, again, the last 1604 LTS, that's going to still stay in support uh, until 2021. So the Canonical will keep developers maintaining the Unity desktop through 2021. But after that, I mean, at some point, we are moving to GNOME. So people like me who work in the IT industry, I want to be at the head of that curve. I want to know all of the pitfalls that are going to plague Ubuntu on GNOME years before it hits, the, as, as far away as I can from when it hits the LTS. Because in 1804... No, I lost you. Okay. I, are, do you, yeah, I mean, lost me as in I, I talked too fast or lost me as in the phone connection drop there? Hello? Hello? Hey, sorry, do we have our phone connection drop there for a second? All right, I'm going to put you back on you, I'm going to put you back on hold. Uh, Sarah, maybe you can pick up and and see if we can get Jim in Florida straightened out here. Um and uh, and if we can't get his uh if we can't get his call straightened out, then I will uh, what we'll do is uh let's see, I'll just put call issues. Uh I if we can't get his call straightened out, then uh, Jim, you can just listen to this on the replay. Of course, you can uh, find all of our past shows astnoshow.com. There's links to download the show, stream the show live, watch the video, chat to the show, download the video of the show, all that stuff. Um 
but yeah, basically what you're what you're looking to do is uh, when seventeen ten breaks in on Thursday, I will be one of the first people to download it. And the reason is, I want to play with that distribution. I want to find out how it works. My understanding from talking to people like Ellen Pope and Martin Wimpers is that Canonical has done a very good job of taking what was great about Gnome and polishing the heck out of it. And so I'm hoping that 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 will show in 1710 and then i can become comfortable and fix all of those things and when we get back to 1804 in april when that comes up uh, when the lts comes up and all of these businesses are saying okay what are we going to install we always recommend the latest lts so if we had a business come to us today even though 1710 comes out on thursday and said what should we install we would recommend 1604 because we don't have to revisit that machine we don't have to update that machine for another five years if we don't want to or we can't or they don't want to if that makes any sense. Um, whereas uh, on the on the on the on the off releases, uh, we would have to revisit those machines every six months. Uh, let's go ahead and bring Jim back up. Jim, do I have you back now? Yes. Okay. Cool. So um, I, I don't know how much of that. Exp- I don't know exactly where my explanation dropped off. But basically, LTS is the is long term support edition seventeen. The the off the the tens the off things are the non LTS those are those are what's in between the non LTS are important for us users who want to be on the bleeding edge the LTS is the kind is the version that you choose if you want to hang on and not update and and you want to stay up to date but you don't want to have to monkey with your computer for five years does that make sense gotcha yes it does it makes very much sense thank so, you so and yeah and all the all the, any business that asks if we're installing it for a client we always recommend the LTS, the latest LTS, whatever that happens to be. So when 1804 comes out, we will start recommending that LTS. I don't know what's going on with our call system today. That that will be recommended to all of our businesses, and uh, and we'll let them use that. Now, what's going to be interesting is when that happens, when 1804 comes out, hopefully that AltaSpeed has had a chance to test all of the issues in the non-LTS and work out all of the GNOME issues. And by the time we get to... Uh, the 1804 LTS, the first LTS with GNOME, we are all set. That's the hope, anyway. Um, and it, it, I am really excited. I, it, I usually only install the LTS myself in on my laptop because I need my laptop to be as reliable as the as as all of our clients. I am making an exception with 1710 because I am so excited to try the first Ubuntu that's going back to GNOME, and I, I really like GNOME as a desktop. I think it's going to be uh, you know, a, a, a really ge- great distro, and I think it's a great change for Canonical. John from California. Welcome to the Ask Noah. John, what's up? Hi, Noah. Um, I last called in around episode 10 about Chromecam. Um, it's it's background uh, removal software, and I asked you if there was a Linux replacement. Yes, I, I remember. The people who made it. Oh, yeah. I actually talked to the people who made it. Uh, they're planning a Mac release soon, and they say they'll eventually that that they'll, they eventually plan to release for Linux, so that so that's some, some good news there. I tried Wyman, it really didn't work. It's a .NET application. Hmm. So this is uh, Chromocam.me, is that right? Uh, per, yes, if the company says pers- Personify, that uh, that should be the company. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Uh, so I um I so uh, Chromocam Pro twenty nine bucks. Uh, otherwise, Chromocam Lite uh, free. Does that sound about right to you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So basically, uh, for those of you who are not familiar, uh, basically what uh, what John is talking about is a piece of software that we were chatting about uh, a couple of months ago, and it is a, a software that you install on your computer and allows you to basically remove the background without using a green screen, which I I had never actually heard of it at the time that you called in. I've since done some research and learned that there's actually a lot of people that are using this, and uh, and they have a they have a definitive Linux release planned, huh? Uh, they didn't give me any dates. They said the Mac version's coming soon, and the, and they plan to have a Linux release after that. Uh, I couldn't get a date out of them, sadly, but uh, it's something to hope for. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks very much for for uh, calling in. Let us know. We'll we'll keep our uh, our eyes on that. That will be that will be something re- that's really interesting. And I would imagine that um, if this technology takes off. And becomes a little bit more prolific. I would imagine that eventually the fine folks at the OBS project, the Open Broadcaster software, would eventually implement something like this, um, and that will be really cool. I mean, they're right on the ball when it comes to NDI. So, 
Uh, ben is calling from Kentucky. Hey, Ben, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. It's been a while, Noah. It has. How are you? Oh, frustrated to the bone with this Mac laptop. Uh, uh-oh, okay. Well, t- tell me about it. Let's see if I can help. <sighs> you, have, you would not believe that what I have to go through to get Linux on this stupid thing. Okay. Tell me about it. Well, here's the thing. I don't want to do Gentoo because that takes hours, if not days, to do, as I'm sure you know. And I don't want to do Arch because there's hardly any driver support. So, you know, the only solution that I'm coming to is Mint or Ubuntu. So I'm just sort of like, you know, throwing up my hands around in the air trying to figure out what to do. Okay, let's let's start with this. What you year? Know, what year is know. what year is the MacBook? It's a 15-inch 2013, the late 2013. Okay. All right. And it's, you know, it's got the Intel graphics and the NVIDIA proprietary. And, you know, I would prefer to use the NVIDIA straight driver, not Nouveau, because, you know, uh, I do some wine gaming and that sort of thing, you know, like Swotor and a couple of others. Uh, I don't really do that many MMOs, but, you know, a couple like, uh, you know, Final Fantasy, Star Wars, a couple of others. And they just don't work well in VirtualBox because they're high, heavy graphics and that sort of thing. So Yeah, yeah, I no, hear you. Not really. And you know as well as I do, you know, you're a Linux user. I don't play games well. And uh, you, you know that 3D acceleration through Wine is a heck of a lot better than it is in VirtualBox, if you get my drift. And I know you're not a big gamer like myself, but, you know, I just don't want to put any Linux users down, but... Windows is the dominant platform for gaming. I mean, Linux is close, but, you know, I just, as long as Windows is around, that's going to be very hard to match. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, the trick is, you know, I don't have, I only have like maybe 17 out of my hundreds of games on Steam that work natively to Linux. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can live with that. But, you know, the trick is, is that, you know, I don't really play many of the modern games as much as, uh, the, you know, ones I play through wine, but regardless, uh, back on track, the, uh, one slide problem that I've got is, you know, a lot of the modern window managers, GNOME is the only one that works best on this screen because the high DPI screen and, you know, cinnamon, mate and GNOME are the only three that I've found in my testing that work properly. And I don't really like putting beta software on my computer, but, mm-hmm. you know, if I want Ubuntu, I'm going to have to probably solve for that as the problem. Okay, so, so, let's, so, so here's what I'm hearing. So let's, let's, let's back up a little bit. So first of all, um, uh, the, so the, the games aren't necessarily an, an issue on the MacBook itself. That's, that's an issue with the compatibility right, of these games with, with Linux. Yeah, okay, so let, let's, let's step through these right. one problem at a time. So first of all, regarding high DPI. Yeah. So on if you went back to the latest LTS, which is what I was just talking about a little earlier in the program, 16.04 is going to have yeah. Unity. Unity works very, very well with high DPI. I have a Chromebook Pixel that has a 2K display yeah. on it that is completely unusable out of the box if you don't have high DPI support. And they have a, uh, a basically it does kind of what Mac OS does. It picks pixel doubles and um, you can just drag this little slider, set it to two. And all of the applications are magically going to just look nice on. a. I high have no playing clue how to do that, dude. Yeah, no worries. No worries. I'm going to walk you through it. I so I'm going to walk you through it. So what you're going to do is on. So you you can get yourself to where you have 1604 installed, right? Yeah, I can do that. Fine. It's just the screen looks like it's. A thousand pixels sideways. Yep, yep, I got you. So what you're going to do, the first time you get into uh, Ubuntu, and I'm not saying this is going to be the easiest thing in the world because I get it. It's hard to even read the text. I mean, you can't even tell where your mouse is. It's so small. I've been there, believe me. You know, the text is so dang small. It's like, how can anybody read this crap? Yeah, I, I got you. So what you're going to do is you're going to press the, the, the Windows key or the super key, and you're going to type display. You don't need to read anything for that because you can see the keys right on your computer. You're going to type display, press enter. It's right, go- exactly. It's, it's going to open up a dialog. At the, on the bottom part of that dialog, even if you can't read what it says, you're going to see a little slider. By default, the slider is going to be at one. You want to drag the slider slowly to the right. And about I'll just tell you, on a 2K display, uh, two is pretty much the magic number where everything's going to be great. But if you go a little bit further, things are just going to look really big for a minute. And that's okay uh, because then you'll be able to read everything and you'll be able to see where it says scale display and you'll be able to slide that slider back to two. So it's literally a single dialog box 
and a uh, I'm just going to so the number I wanted to be on is two, correct? Yeah, the number you want to be. So if if you're again, you hit the Windows key, you type in display, it opens up that dialog box. Basically, at the very top, you're going to see a, like a, a pink box that represents your monitor, and then below that, you're going to see the resolution, and below that, it's going to it's you're going to see a, rot- a, a a box for rotation, and right below that, you'll see even if you couldn't read any of this, what you're looking for is a little orange line, and where the orange line ends immediately to the right, that's where that slider is going to be, and you're just going to grab on to where that little orange line ends and drag to the right and that will scale your display up and um, once you get a little bit higher then you'll be able to uh, then you'll be able to adjust it to two and i I found that two is about perfect uh for for pixel scale so okay so that that will take i am really not sure if i'm going to remember all this so is it possible we can talk about this again afterwards absolutely i would really like that and i would and I'll give the uh, call-in person the woman my phone number so you can contact me afterwards. Mm-hmm. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll go ahead and put you back on hold. Yeah, that would really help because yeah, I'll do that. I'll so, do. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk I'll, to you a little later. Yep. Sounds good. And I'll do you one better, Ben. What I'll do is I'll have her take your phone number and and maybe your email too. And uh, what she can do is she can uh, open a ticket for you, and we'll get a. AltaSpeed Technologies technician assigned uh, to you that will work directly with you to get this problem solved. Uh, let's see here and phone. And uh, b- basically, what what that will do, Ben, is if you have questions at any point in time, uh, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, there'll be somebody there to 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 get help. Um, let's go to I, I, I'll get to. Uh, uh, let's see, there's a couple people that I'm waiting on hold for a while. I want to get to this because it directly relates. Jonathan, South Dakota. Hey, Jonathan, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Oh, oh, sorry. You know what? I forgot to hit the button. Here we go. All right, there you go. Hey, Jonathan. Hey, Noah. How you doing? Excellent. How can we help? Well, um, I just was I was just calling because um, <clears throat> I heard what uh, what the last gentleman uh, was saying um, on the phone about uh, you know gaming on Linux and how um, Windows is the <clears throat> so I said the platinum of choice uh, for most developers just because it's more popular. <clears throat> And I noticed how you're saying that, you know, you couldn't relate very much because you didn't play as much as him. Uh, but I can relate because um, I play tons and tons of video games on both um, uh, consoles and on the computer. Okay. And I'm a very proud uh, Linux gamer. Um, and believe it or not, there are more and more games coming to Linux uh, as we speak. Everything's kind of being ported over to Linux just because it's so much uh, easier to code games that way. I mean, if you look at Steam, um, almost... Steam's entire library is getting ported over to uh, Linux. There's a couple of games that haven't gotten there quite yet, but um, it's it's a lot easier to play on Linux than you think, and there's, you're going to have a lot less bloatware uh, in the process, so you won't feel your computer slowing down as quickly as Windows will just because of all the extra programming that you constantly have to download um, just to make sure that your computer has that spec to play um, to play simple games that shouldn't that shouldn't take an update every three days to to use the computer properly without being prompted nonstop. And that's one of the great benefits of playing on Linux. And I mean, I know I get the, the argument about VirtualBox, but it's not it's not actually that bad depending on the type of computer that you have. Um, you can you can generally run Windows okay to do a specific game that you want to play and have good quality uh, as long as you have a decent computer running it. Now, you said you're you're a gamer and you're doing this on Linux. I know streaming is a big thing for for gamers. If people wanted to watch uh, your play, you playing these games on Linux and see what the performance is like, all that kind of stuff. Is there a place that you stream? Is there a place that people can watch you? Yeah, so I actually stream on Twitch. Um, uh, I uh, I actually have ways of streaming both through Windows and through Linux. It's naturally a lot better to use Linux because I use uh, the OBS software. Ah, okay. Uh, which is actually Linux based. Mm-hmm. Um, as you probably know, Noah, because um, I you you actually got me into that. Thank you. For yeah, yeah. We're we're actually we're you, we're um, using OBS to actually do this show. See, point exactly. So, <laughs> so I use OBS and I use it both on Linux um, and on Windows uh, when I have to. Um, but there's actually capture cards that you can use that work much better than the software-based ones that you have to have in order to uh, work with Windows. Um, and it creates a, a richer and uh, much quicker uh, broadcast um, when you can uh, uh, when, when recording gameplay and, and streaming at the same time. Um, and I use I use 
Twitch's platform to do that. Awesome. People want to people want to follow you. Where can they go on to follow to see you on Twitch? Um, it's it's my my username is kind of weird. It's I've uh, I've had it my whole life. It's uh, John G Ponji. That's that's who I am. So and how do you spell I do that? Lots of console streaming. It's uh, J O N J I P O N J I. Gotcha. Okay. And you literally just type in Twitch. Yeah, John G. Ponji. You literally just type in twitch.com and then do forward slash. And you can put my username and you can find me there. Awesome. Well, thanks for calling in. Let us know about that. And yeah, as far as uh, capture cards that work natively on Linux, I'm a big fan of Magwell, M-A-G-E-W-E-L-L. They make both a PCI capture card that does 4K, a PCI capture card that has four 1080p inputs, a PCI capture card that does just a single HDMI in, and of course, they make a range of USB capture cards. And that's actually what we use when we do live streaming for JB. Magwell, we'll have a link in the show notes. Chaz is calling from New York. Hey, Chaz, welcome to the Ask Noah show. Hey, Noah, how's it going tonight? Hey, well, <laughs> depends on which, from an Ask Noah perspective, great content coverage is fantastic. As far as an ultra speed managing people, it's not the, it's not the day you want to be in charge of managing people's wireless networks. Let's just say that. Huh. All right. Well, we've had a discussion before, uh, back when we were discussing the merits of Solus versus Ubuntu Mate. Um, uh, about distro hopping, and yep. I remember you saying how you you back up all your data, you install the new distro, and then you realize there was something you forgot uh, that you now lost forever because you wiped your entire hard drive. Yep. Let's t- now anybody like you, me, people listening to the show knows that just that's just what happens when you distro hop. But as I'm sure you probably know from Alta Speed, if you were to do that with a friend or family member who you were switching distros with them, say they needed to switch distros for some reason, it would probably look pretty unprofessional and they'd probably be kind of put off by Linux. So my question is, what is the best way to switch somebody to a distro, um, uh, a different distro if you need to, without lose, with uh, retaining the maximum amount of data? Yeah. Um, well, so the I guess the answer to that is to back up the home directory and just reinstall that. What you'll find is like something like 95% of all user data is stored in the home directory. The Thunderbird portfolio uh, that contains all the all of the emails, all of the address books, um the Firefox bookmarks and shortcuts and customizations and additions and all that is stored in the home directory. Obviously, all of the users' documents and pictures and anything they've downloaded, anything they've the default save location for documents and stuff, all of that is stored in the user's home directory. So you can tackle a lot of that by just by just moving that home directory. And in fact, it's really interesting to kind of watch when we do this uh, for for clients and we'll go in there and we'll back up like the Thunderbird portfolio and uh, and then we'll, re- we'll put the home directory back in and you know set that back up and it's kind of funny to watch their eyes kind of glaze over when they're kind of looking at like that now how did you how did you move all that stuff I, I didn't give you my email password or any of that and I'm like yeah but we have our ways you know it's just it's kind of cool but you can move the vast majority of, of that stuff just by tarballing up the home directory and then on tarballing it into the user's new computer and that should work across most distros there's a couple of desktop environments that are going to be kind of weird or store something in a different place or have a slightly different path um, and you have to just kind of deal with those as they crop up but that's the that's the best general answer I have for you yeah and you actually kind of hit on uh, my, what my follow-up question was going to be like say you know going say you were switching somebody from Solus back to Ubuntu you know would that would that roughly work or would you have to do something crazy to make sure that uh, the previously soulless data would be able to talk to now Ubuntu data and, you know, or vice versa, I guess. Yeah. So Solus, uh, Ike works pretty closely with other members of the community. So if I had to guess, and this is a guess because I haven't actually done it. If I had to guess, I would say that you have a very high likelihood of things just working. Um, and again, that's, you know, when I, when I went to the Ubuntu rally a couple of weeks ago, I, you know, you can see how Ike interfaces and talks with other people like Martin, you know, and some of the other people. And what you see is this community that is a, that is geared towards Linux. And even though each of them represent, there's one guy there that was representing Fedora, and there's one guy there's representing, obviously, Ubuntu Mate. Ike is there repping Solus. But they all work together, and they all help each other out when they need help. And because of that, they all look at best practices, and then they all implement them in their own 
various distros. And and I've said since day one, and you know, Ike and I had a had a very frank conversation about this. Is I still to this day don't believe that Solus is a good choice for a daily driver desktop uh, general purpose operating system. I don't think it's a good choice. I think that there is a fundamental lack of certain software that exists on Solus. Uh, I think that they are fixing that. I think that they are. I think they're revamping the process to get software added. I think they're revamping what software is there. I think they're expanding their team. Ike has come on board full time now to support Solus. So I think they're getting there. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't think that they offer a, a truly competitive product to something like Ubuntu proper. And I think that if you're looking, if you want to put grandma or mom or your sister or, you know, random client on a general purpose operating system and you want it to compete in that macOS slash Windows world, Solus is not the way to do that unless you know ahead of time what their specific environment is going to be. We put a very large organization on Solus. It's actually one of the first times I ever used Solus. And the reason that we did that was because their application, their main application was a web-based application. And the reality is Solus will get lifetime updates. As long as he maintains a project, he's going to continue to update the thing. So we never have to worry about reinstalling the computers. And all the computers need to do is open Chrome. So Solus in that particular instance is a fantastic use case and works phenomenal. Uh, And I wouldn't recommend anything else. In fact, I think it does such a great job. So if you know what software you're going to use ahead of time and you know you'll never expand beyond that, then I think Solus fits the bill in spades. Does that help you at all? Yeah, I actually put mom on Manjaro, but same concept. So, uh, yeah, I think that will uh, I think that will help out if I ever need, if it ever needs to come to that. Yeah, yeah, and you know, there's people in the uh, Ask No Telegram group are, are pointing out that uh, Solus does have Steam, and so uh, again, they are definitely moving forward. I, I really think I really think that that you know things are go, you know going in the right direction. It's just the the first couple of times I tried Solus, and I would go to run you know Sample Help which at this point we use for everything now. In fact, I run the Ask Noah show using Simple Help and uh, went to install the remote access client. Nope, sorry, can't do that. Uh, it doesn't run. And, um, you know, basically it was an issue with Java. And it's since been rectified, my understanding is. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, they're all re- we have so many great choices and they, they are just getting better. We're going to get to a story in a little bit about Red Hat and uh, it really outlines what that company is doing right. And, you know, I, I, went on, I went on quite a rant last week about how great Canonical is doing in the desktop world. And so, and, and then in, and apart from Ubuntu proper, you also have projects like Ubuntu Mate. I call Ubuntu Mate my utility distro. If I have a computer and I just need that computer to run and run and run and run and run, and I need one application to open up and run, or maybe one or two applications to open up and run, I am always going, my, my, my first grab is Ubuntu Mate because it's a very utility-based uh, distribution. It, it, you know, and, and he has, Martin Wimpers has augmented that so that you can replicate the setup of Windows, you can replicate the setup of Mac OS, you can rep- replicate the setup of traditional Linux desktop. Um, all of those things are possible in Ubuntu Mate by default the GNOME 2-like style that it ships with by default is really excellent for all of the studio machines in here, for example. They are all running Ubuntu Mate. And the reason for that is I don't want a big dock along the left-hand side of my monitor. It eats up screen real estate, and the only thing that the computer in front of me needs to do is manage the call interface. The computer to my right, the only thing it needs to do is manage the chat room and, and the streaming system. The computer all the way over behind me, all it needs to do is run a dedicated instance of Open Broadcaster Software, OBS. For those things, I don't need a big dock along the side. I don't need cascading windows. I don't need multi-monitor support. I just need it to do that one thing, whatever that one thing is. And Ubuntu Mate fits that bill every single time. When I'm putting a new user in front of a computer, or when we do our Linux-based kiosks um, that we install in hotels and in lobbies and in malls, those kinds of applications, I want the user interface to be overly welcoming to the user. I want it to be in their face and obvious of what to do. And when you have that big old dock, especially if you make the increase the size just a little bit and you stick the familiar Firefox and Chrome icons on the side, Every idiot that sits down at that computer can go, I know what that is. That's a Firefox. I click on that one. Uh, or Chrome. You know, they, they, they know what to do without any sort of instruction. And in a blind test, what you find is, even though nobody really wants to talk about this or admit it, in a blind test, what you find is desktops like Unity are actually almost more friendly to users 
than Mac OS or Windows. They confuse people less on average. The, the, the dash home where I can click on that icon and type to search for an application is more obvious than the spotlight, you know, this magical incantation you have to click on on the keyboard to get spotlight to come up or click on the little magnifying glass that's over at the complete opposite side of where all the menus are. Uh, it, it is more obvious than trying to click on a start menu and then go through sub subcategories of, of programs. It just doesn't make any sense. So, uh, but yeah, all that to say, uh, there you have a lot of really great options and they are only getting better. Uh, hey, I want to invite you guys, everyone who's listening, I want you to become a part of the show. If you can't make it in to call, I want you to head over to asknoahshow.reddit.com and uh, make your voice heard. We have a growing community over there. We also have a growing community at telegram.asknoahshow.com. Basically, if you're not familiar with what Telegram is, it's basically like an instant messenger chat client. And um, you can join the discussion there. Obviously, there's a lot of discussion, a lot of discussion going on about uh, WPA2 security today. And we have a lot of discussions and we have suggestions and I read all of them. I don't always have the time to respond to everyone that, that posts in the Ask No Show group in Telegram or on the Reddit, but I definitely read all of it. And um, one thing that has come up over and over and again, including from Chris himself, is the suggestion of voicemail. And again, I, I want to take a moment to outline how this show works. Um, we are live every Monday evening at 6 p.m. Central, and I bring to the table my 10 years plus of working in the trenches of IT. I've worked for a couple different companies, and now I own my own company. And uh, starting my own business and running my own business for the last nine years, I'm excited to share with you that experience, and I'm more than happy to answer your questions live on the air here for an hour. The trade-off is, and I think, I think with all due respect to some, some people, I think this gets lost sometimes. The trade-off here is that I give my consulting services, which I am paid well for during the week, I give those services away for free on the air, and I take your questions and along with my answers, and we combine those things into a show that we can then, that I, we can then cumulatively give back to the community. So that's my way of contributing back. And if, it, and if this hasn't been clear, that's why... We don't answer a lot of Reddit questions here on the air. That's why we don't, uh, you know, up until now, haven't had a voicemail that we've read on the air. We yield the airtime to the folks that make it a priority to come to ask their questions live on the air. And we have gone through extensive lengths to make sure that everyone has the opportunity to call in. We don't want, we don't want the barrier to be cost. We don't want the barrier to be free software. I, any of that, uh, we, we try and, and, and move heaven and earth to to make that possible. And to that end, uh, we are actually setting up an entire backend service for one particular viewer that has wanted to call into the show and uh, is not willing or able to use uh, Skype, which you can do for free and call a toll free number. We're going to make that possible for him by setting up an entire backend and giving him credentials that he can then log in using free and open source software to, to make it on the show. So if, if you want to participate in the show and there's something that's preventing you from doing it, let me know. The other thing that we have we are uh, we are doing is we are looking at either changing our live time or expanding the show uh, to air more than once. Um, and there is a poll that will be included in the show notes. So if you are one of those people that you're like, I, I would love to participate in the Ask Noah show. I have a question every week, but I work up until 6 p.m. Central when the show airs. So if you had it at X time or Y time or this day or that day, you know, that's something I would consider. If you need more support than a five-minute phone call on a radio show, or if you can't make it during our lifetime and you need help right now, AltaSpeed Technologies, that's my employer, we do offer creative cost-saving solutions and we don't sacrifice quality when we do it. And you can call customer care at 1-866-280-1433 or email support at altaspeed.com and they will be happy to address your concern right now. It's kind of what we're doing with Ben, except we're giving that for, to Ben away for free because he, he made the time to be here, but, well, we just couldn't solve it in a five-minute radio call. But a customer care representative, they're going to get in contact with you and they will work around your schedule and solve your problems. Now, all of that said, we understand that some people don't always remember when our show is airing. We are live on 88.3, KEQQ 88.3 in Grand Forks. And that means that we have one hour. Uh, the show goes live at exactly six and it goes off the air at exactly 59 minutes and 36 seconds and not a second more. I mean, that's when they transition. And we can't bump into, we can't take over the next show's time and we can't start any earlier. And so that's, that's just, that's a little under one hour 
by the time, you know, really it takes me two minutes to get through the intro and about a minute and a half of outro. So we're down to like 56 minutes that you actually have to call in and ask a question. Um, so we are excited to announce the next step of the Ask Noah show. Now, thanks to Vox Telsis for our new broadcast talk show system, we can now take your voicemails. And what we're going to do, we're going to try this in a, in a slightly twisted fashion. What we're going to do is we're going to take your voicemails and our production team will contact you during our next live show and put you at the very front of the line to get your questions answered. So again, it takes me maybe two minutes to get through the intro and then the show is live and those calls, they were going to be put front and center. So if you can afford to wait for like five minutes at around 6 p.m. Central, just call any time during the week uh, if at one 450 no, it's the same number that we have when we're live. Leave a brief description of your question or comment and, and your name, and we'll call you back next Monday right before the show airs. And so hopefully that will be uh, a way that we can get people more involved. And a huge thank you to Vox Telsis for donating the equipment that we need to bring you a high-quality call-in talk radio show where Linux gets a front row seat. This is an article that I came across, uh, Red Hat, on its way to being a $5 billion, with a B, billion dollar company. The last time I spoke to Red Hat CEO Jim Whitehurst in two, June 2016, he had a pretty audacious goal for his company, to achieve $5 billion in revenue. At the time, that seemed a bit far-fetched. After all, his company had just become the first open source company to surpass $2 billion in revenue. Getting to five represented a significant challenge because, as he pointed out, the bigger you get, the harder it becomes to keep the growth trajectory going. But the company has continued to thrive and is on track to surpass $3 billion in revenue. Sometime in the next couple, sometime in the next couple quarters, Red Hat is best known for creating a version of Linux specifically designed for the enterprise, but it has begun adopting to the changing world uh, with cloud and containers. As it is, RHEL, or Red Hat Enterprise Linux, customers start to change the way that they work, ever so slowly. They are continuing to use Red Hat for those new technologies. As Whitehurst told me, that's not a coincidence. The cloud and containers are built on Linux. And if there's one thing Red Hat knows, it's Linux. Whitehurst points out that the, le that the legacy of RHEL is still growing at a healthy 14%. But it's the newer cloud and container business that's growing like gangbusters with a robust 40%, he says, and that's having a positive impact on revenue. In its most recent earnings, overall revenue was up 21% to $723 million for the quarter for a $2.8 billion run rate. Investors certainly seem to like what they are seeing. The share price has gone on a straight upward trajectory from a low $68.71 in December of 2016 to $121 per share as of today. That's a nice return any way you slice it. While he attributes some of the company's success in the area to being at the right place at the right time with the right technology, he reckons it's more than that. We have some skill in identifying architecture that is best for the enterprise. It doesn't hurt that they also got involved with contributing back to the community early on and today are the second largest contributor to the Kubernetes. Whitehurst understands that his company is selling free software, and so they have to add value by easing the implementation and management of those tools to their customers. When you sell free software, you have to obsess about the value that it can bring because the IP is free. Given the numbers, it would appear that customers see value that is contributing to a steady march towards $5 billion. $5 billion from Red Hat. That's from TechCrunch, by the way. You know, the interesting thing as I sit here and do episode 30 of the Ask Noah show is Linux is taking off in a way that we just haven't seen before. We see that happening at Canonical with Ubuntu, and we are seeing that happen, well, we have been seeing that happen with Red Hat. And I have been on the other side of this. This article, this, this writer, I'm not sure that he... Um, I'm not sure that he, you know, has been on the other side like I have of Red Hat where you're sitting inside of a university meeting and you need to accomplish this thing and you know that Linux can do it, but you have people from Microsoft, you have people from Apple that are saying, you have people from VMware in some cases that are saying, we have re sales representatives that their only function in life, in fact, the way they put their food on the table is to make attractive op. Uh, attractive offerings to these universities and, and other, you know, corporate clients to use their software platforms. 
And then you have people like me and com- and and companies like Red Hat. I go in and I say, I want this to run on Linux. I don't really care if it's Red Hat or if it's Canonical or if it's Arch or if it's Slackware. I, I don't care as long as it's running on Linux. Because if they're on contract with us, we get paid a, a monthly fee regardless of how much time we spend maintaining a server. That's how our contracting system works. And so the more often that something breaks, the more often they have a problem with something, that takes my in, that takes my profit margins down every single time we have to assign a technician to solve a problem for a contract customer. And so the more reliable, the more robust solutions that we can have put into place, the better we are off 100% of the time. And as a as a, as a consultant who can go into the University of North Dakota, as a consultant who can go into some of these large corporate enterprises and sit down and say, we can provide you an option to VMware ESXi. And I know that not only is that product going to perform better because it's Linux-based, developed by the community, developed by people who know and passionately care about this stuff. Not only do we have that, but I have something that I can I can show to a guy sitting in a suit across the table from me and saying, look, here is a $5 billion company and here's a support contract that they have. And if you can see here for this, you know, $900 or whatever it is a year for a single server, they will make sure that your server keeps running. So if tomorrow I get hit by a bus, God forbid, you're not, you know, up the creek without a paddle. You're set. You have a company that's there to back you up. And th- that is an important offering. And what you find is, because I've visited Red Hat and I've talked extensively with Red Hat employees. We've had Red Hat employees on this show. And every one of them demonstrates the same char- characteristic that I see over and over and over again in Red Hat, the company, and Red Hat employees. And that is Red Hat goes out and finds people that are already passionately working on projects, already passionately working on the software that they love and care about. And uh, Red Hat approaches them and says, hey, you know what? We will give you a paycheck, a healthy paycheck, and it will cover all of the life expenses that you have for, you know, renting an apartment and paying for food and, 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 and feeding your family and letting your and buying clothes and all that stuff. We'll take care of all that. And in return, you just keep doing what you're doing because we're making money off of it as a company by leveraging this open source software. And Jim Whitehurst is a phenomenal leader. He has figured this out and he wrote an entire book about how he formerly used to be the CEO of Delta Airlines. And at Delta, it's a very top-down approach. And when he got hired at Red Hat, he's like, all right, I see how it is. This, uh, everyone thinks that uh, you know nobody knows their head from their tail. I'll, uh, I'll show them what's up. I'm going to come in. I'm going to show them what proper management does, and, and we're going to get this company turned around. And in his book, he, he, he details how the exact opposite happened, how the company changed him from the inside out, how the company taught him what, the true value of open sources, what the true value of community is, what the true value of letting everyone have a voice and letting the best ideas float to the top. And when somebody has a strong passion, a strong belief system, to respect that strong belief system, to respect that, respect that strong passion. One of the things I've heard from uh, Red Hat employees, and in fact, we interviewed a guy back at Southeast Linux Fest last year, Red Hat in reinvents entire technology stacks because there will be a group of employees that say, we don't want to use Java. We don't think that Java is free and open source enough or doesn't respect our belief systems. We're not going to use that piece of technology. And Red Hat then uses their own funds to reinvent that software stack so that those employees can get their job done. There are so many companies. And I'd be lying to you if I told you that AltaSpeed wasn't one of them. I, I, we are very, very, very accommodating. Uh, obviously, being a company makes it money off of Linux and open source technology, very accommodating, where we have employees that say, I have a, a, a software belief system that I can't use this particular software. This is not free or open enough. We try to work around that as best we can. But ultimately, we're in business to make money. And I don't. we don't have the capital to reinvent software stacks from the ground up. So ultimately, if somebody can't do a particular job because of their particular software belief systems, then we're going to assign it to a different technician that doesn't have those belief systems to get the job done. Right. And so we're not we never force anyone to use proprietary software. But at the same time, uh, we also need to be able to get need to be able to get the work done. So that's hours that that particular employee maybe isn't getting you know paid for. Uh, so every there are very few companies that are willing to do what Red Hat is doing. And um, I think as we march on through 2017, as we wind down and, and start you know entering 2018, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens both at Red Hat and Canonical because the Linux landscape is changing and we're super happy about it and excited to be able to talk to you about it on the Ask Noah show. If you guys aren't following us on Twitter, ask 
at Ask Noah Show. You can follow me personally at Colonel Linux. I'll be keeping you up to date with things as they roll on regarding this WPA2 uh, security nightmare. Sarah's filled back in as call screener. Rakai is our video editor. Huge thanks to him. Ben, our producer. We thank everyone. We'll hand you off to Crosspoint coming up next on Locos Radio, KEQQ, 88.3 LPFM, Grand Forks.